This is podcast number 142, entitled Girl Can't Help It, and it is a uh, an exercise, I hope, in the avant-garde. The um, stage is set by a concert performance of uh, committed by uh, that most avant-garde group journey, and you'll hear their very avant-garde studio version of Girl Can't Help It at the end of the cast. And because it's avant-garde, it actually is about something quite different. It's about the relationship of realism with optimism. And I'm talking about realism and optimism in our lives, particularly in your life and in the life that you and I lead. Now, I'm going to use as a vehicle for this a... um What's the word we use today now for everything when we don't want to really make a value judgment out of it? We use the word stunning, the way that academic people use the word interesting, which doesn't give their own opinions away. <clears throat> there is a stunning film uh, from 1993 that was written and directed by Eric Romer, a French um, filmmaker, that was called The Tree, the Mayor, and the Mediatek. And this odd little movie, which you can see on uh, YouTube. Uh, it's under the French title to get it in YouTube. I think it's called L'Arbre, Le Maire et la Médiathèque. And you can get the entire version uploaded um, from someone in Spain. And it's a uh, strikingly relevant movie uh, because it's about politics. And yet it's about politics in a way that is um, really helpful and um ultimately nonpartisan, and it's the message of the movie or the kind of um, reporting of the movie, the angle, but actually it's an objective reality, you might say, that's reported by the movie that I want to talk about, then the way it's done, and then um, make a little note about um, uh, the sort of uh, bigger and deeper, the profondeur of the film and also of life. And it's something I've thought a lot about because I spent some time not so long ago with someone I know and respect very highly. And um, it was so clear to me that he was a realist, but rather than optimistic, he was in absolute despair. Uh, he was in ideological despair, and he was in personal despair, and he was in familial despair. And he was just uh, basically, there was a kind of um, settled... Um, suicidal affect, uh, no, 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 suicidal decision that I think will culminate, in fact, in some form of assisted suicide later on. And many people are there, and I thought about him because a great deal of what he said uh, struck me as being completely accurate to life. And yet it was missing one even more accurate um, assessment of life, which I now actually um, embrace. And uh, this um, little uh, movie by Eric Romer, the tree, the mayor, and the media tech uh, expresses it, and in a way that's sort of off from one side, and therefore can get through. I so wish people would see this movie. It's one of many that Romer did. I mean, a very prolific uh, filmmaker, and I'm not going to give a long thing. You can look up Eric Romer anywhere you like. He died in 2010, and um, uh, I'm going to talk about this film, because this film is actually a kind of an action. It's a vot. Uh, what is the word in German? Votgeschein. It's, it's a sprach. A sprach it's an actual thing. A sprachgeschein. It's actually a thing that happens through this movie. It's not just a movie. It's, a, it's an event that actually takes place in the viewer that is of, of using some very radical, um, journey-like, uh, um, avant-garde um, uh, um, um, kind of... 
kind of vision. Now, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Uh, it's about a, 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 a socialist mayor of a small uh, French village in an area of Normandy, I think it's called, or Brittany, I think it's Normandy, called La Vendée, and that's an area which you'll remember from your reading of Victor Hugo. There was a, a royalist um, ca- counter-revolutionary movement during the French Revolution in the Vendée, a Catholic royalist movement that was, we would call it counter-revolutionary, counter-insurgency, uh, and um, um, uh, Victor Hugo describes it at, at real depth and length and power in his rather late novel, Quatre Vendrez, 1893, I think it's just called 93. And this area of, has associations for uh, the history of that country. And <clears throat> however, when you – I think Jack Kerouac used to like to say that he was from there originally. That would explain why he was always saying he was a Catholic and not a, not a, 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 not a beat. Um, but um, in this uh, movie made in 1993, which is contemporary with 1993, the socialist mayor of the village, which uh, whom we would call a limousine liberal to use jargon – because he's the lord of the manor, he lives in a very, very beautiful 17th or 18th century uh, house, which is his familial um, zitz uh, and wohnsitz. You know, I mean, he's been there uh, many generations, and he and his very beautiful second wife or girlfriend uh, are left-wing um, fabulators and thinkers, and they just go on and on and on and on, on about how they want to change everybody's lives, basically, but their own. And uh, they're very nice people, and the mayor uh, is uh, determined to take a uh, an undeveloped uh, section of field with a very old tree in the, in the right off the center of the village near the church and the school, and to convert this little prey, it's a meadow, which is right there for cows and so forth, right there in the heart of this old medieval village into a mediatek by that he means a center for media a center of kind of a, a, a kind of a local arts center a cultural center auditorium a pool swimming pool all sorts of places for young people to meet for children even to meet but mostly for cultural events to meet and social events and he wants to take this beautiful little piece of land i mean it's so funny cuz they make such a thing of this whereas i live in an area of this country where People just don't think for a second of cutting down 10,000 ancient trees and uh, uh, beautiful old streams and uh, incredible old Florida, you know, Vasco da Gama kind of, uh, or is it DeSoto? I always forget. I think it's DeSoto. Anyway, beautiful uh, places, uh, Ponce de Leon type places, and uh, put in racetrack, um, you know, uh, gas stations. I mean, people just don't give a flip about taking you know 10,000 acres of unspoiled Florida wilderness which supposedly we live in an ecological age no way down here but it's so funny because this movie makes this huge cause celebra over this uh, developmental scheme which is intended for good so there's the socialist mayor and his beautiful uh, very intellectual wife and they talk and talk and talk and talk about how they want to improve the quality of life of the people in the village now there's a counter reaction because the school teacher the local school teacher is equally uh, if not more uh, eloquent about how it must be saved and all these modern issues have got to be he's a green and he's got to fight against the socialists so it's in a way you have the the, the extreme green ecological guy is right-wing, and the guy who's right-wing who owns all the land and is very patron, I mean, he's very uh, noblesse oblige kind of guy, he, he's the guy who's left-wing. So it's a, a stand-up of how movable ideology is. <clears throat> and so you have this sort of battle, which is played out in a lot of talk between the um, socialist, beautiful, young, happy sexy mayor and the teacher who is very ideological but on the right but isn't the left and um, 
they talk and talk and talk, and then a journalist from Paris comes down and interviews them and writes a sort of disappointing article about the whole business. And um, it all comes down to a basically, we would call it a highly contested local preservation fight. And um, what is uh, very interesting about it is that uh, Romer interpolates within it uh, sort of interviews that he conducts through this very uh, fascinating and beautiful and very interesting um, journalist who's come down from Paris. She interviews the local people who could care less. I mean, they're just trying to live their lives. Uh, in a variety of uh, ways and uh, uh, having a hard time of it. And they're much more interested in, in aspects relating to local agriculture or their immediate problem with a grandchild or a marital problem or an illness. They're really completely tone deaf, as we say today, to any ideological considerations at all. So there, these, interv- these sort of um, documentary interviews with the, quote, locals uh, who uh, are supposed to benefit from this ideological scheme on the part of the socialist mayor uh, but who are not green either. They're just people, and they're, they sort of reveal what a joke the whole thing is. So it's basically a commentary on the movable feast that is ideology and the fact that ideology really has nothing to do with people. And these two men, whether it's the school teacher or, more importantly, the socialist mayor, who's kind of a hypocrite, uh, he's meant to be seen that way, but he's nice as he can be. They are these two uh, uh, worlds are entirely determined to do something to other people whom they don't know and who really uh, things that will not affect their lives but will affect the lives of others, and yet have absolutely no contact at all with the real interests of these people. Presumably, the parish priest does, but we never see him, which is good. We see the church a lot, which is the main and very beautiful building at the center of this village in the Vendée. Now, um, I'm going to tell you one thing else. Uh, I won't tell you how it resolves itself, except it resolves itself with a very uh, surprising, delightful, sort of ends with a whimper, but really not a whimper. Uh, uh, everybody's ideologies, right and left, is put into a cocked hat by something else that occurs, and uh, it ends as a musical. This is where I want to talk about our life. The actual movie, The Tree, The Mayor, and the Mediatek, ends as a musical. Uh, with original, the actual actor singing. It's not a suddenly like um, the singing detective, you know, where it's sort of high-class music or professional music comes in and the actual actors who are very realistic then do numbers. Now, these are the real actors singing not very well. Some words have been put in their mouth together with kind of a local chorus of um, um, normaldy, lovely, older people. It's very dear, very delightful. And, um, uh, and, and very unrehearsed and really real. But... Um, the main thing about the film is, like many of Romer's uh, um, works that are really like us, like human lives, he he sees this absolute nonsensical scenario of this theater which is being enacted by um, ideologues who live entirely in their heads, who don't have any real sense of who they are, let alone people, and are basically all these long conversations, which are almost acts of seduction. What's really going on in most of the conversations is a male-female agenda, heavily from the male and heavily from the female, going all sorts of psychosexual directions, but it's all covered over by masses of words and ideology. And uh, these people know nothing. They are completely... um, they're they're not at all. It's really they're they're ultimately very destructive. And now, of course, in our country, it's money, you know, and power. Here, here, it's kind of intellectual arguments, none of which ultimately have anything to do with what finally happens. But 
One thing happens in the movie, and I'm not giving away the ending, but I must talk about this because this is the key thing. And it's an avant-garde movie for this reason, partly because it ends in a musical, partly because it shatters all ideas of what is left-wing or right-wing, a gauche or droite. All ideas about what is right and good from an ideological point of view are completely destroyed by dependent arisings, which is life. Because, you know, when you're dying, you're not going to be worried about ideology. You really aren't going to be worried about identity politics or the color of your skin. You really won't be. I mean, you may think that you or people. You may know people who think they will be, or you may be educating people. I was talking to a person who's an educator, a very high level of educator in America, and he was saying in the Ivy League schools where he teaches that um, – that they're trying to everybody's trying to manipulate young people to think a certain way, and they all think the same. He said, "Nobody, there are no uh, atypical, um, there are no atypical opinions." I mean, every single member of the faculty thinks exactly the same way, and they're trying to reprogram these poor, you know, freshman people who come in. Forty percent of them, fifty percent of them from overseas now, and uh, trying to sort of reprogram them. And he said, "The thing is, you know, uh, this fellow who's a very old hand and a very wise man and a very brilliant person said the thing about it is you can." You can, uh, you can get people to think things for a certain amount of time. You can get people intellectually to think certain ideas for a certain amount of time, but you can't really reprogram them. Reprogram them. You, nature has reprogrammed people, men and women, for example. You, ultimately, yes, you can't reprogram them, or you, but you can make them think that they think certain ideas. But at one point or another, it's going to come out. And this uh, is what happens wonderfully in this movie, but without any edge. And uh, But what does uh, happen that changes everything? And it's kind of a living illustration of a Bible parable. And I suspect it was intended, but it's so um, surprising and so unusual. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that has this in it ever in my entire uh, life of loving these things since I was a tiny little boy. I've never seen a, a scene to compare with what the, the pivot point. And this often happens in these Romer movies. There's a realistic analysis of, of, of people who live in their heads but whose lives, especially in the sexual dimension, are really calling the shots. And then, um, however, sort of there's a turning in which the reality of God or the reality of goodness or the reality of benign nature makes an appearance and something that was really intended to have, which is beneficial for all considered, all, 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 all considered, uh, comes, uh, comes out and makes a change. Well, in this movie, um, the, um, the sort of limousine liberal mayor's little, beautiful little blonde daughter is playing, of course, it's a one-child family like everybody in France, and this child is kicking a ball over the wall of the estate, uh, and the ball goes over the wall. And as she's kicking the wall, another little girl happens to be um, um, sort of uh, walking her bike up the hill outside the wall, and, and she picks up the ball, this other little girl, and takes it to throw it back. And then the, uh, the girl that lives inside the big house comes out of the gate and says, oh, I, I think I've seen you. Aren't you in school? And one of them is about 11, and one of them is 10, the girl coming up. And it's played by an actress named, I want to say, Galaxy Bayout. Bayel, Bayout. Uh, a very unusual actress. Her name is Galaxy Bayout. Or something like that, and she must have um, gotten her name in the '60s. She must have been conceived in the in the in the '60s or the '70s to have gotten that name, Galaxy. She's a brilliant child actress. She's about ten, really ten, and she's not twelve masquerading as ten. She might be twelve, but not an iota over eleven or twelve. And she comes, and she's ten, and she sits down, and she becomes friends with this highborn girl. And she, in fact, turns out to be the daughter of the left wing slash right wing ecological schoolmaster. And she's now become friends with the socialist 
left-wing or is he right-wing? He's certainly a manipulative mayor. And they become friends. And the little girl happens um, while the mayor is out taking a stroll. Um, the little girl, the daughter of the schoolmaster, with the daughter of the socialist mayor, encounters the socialist mayor, who's a very handsome, well-dressed man, sort of a genteel, you know, squire, comes and they have a little talk. And in the course of this talk, the little girl, who's 10, confronts the mayor, who's 50 or 45, with all the obvious reasons why this media tech should not exist. Uh, she describes as a child the, the, the fact that they have the meadow, that they can play in the meadow, they can play with the flowers, they can learn about animals, they can grow their little crops, everybody has a wonderful time there, they have freedom, they can meet their friends. It's the most happy place that a child could imagine. And one after another, a little child demolishes the arguments of the socialist mayor, who actually gives her a long lecture. He treats her because she's so... Um, preter, um, precociously intelligent and she's confrontative without being at all uh, adultly confrontative there's no agenda at all she just simply says one way after another in her utterly um, um, I want to say limpid transparent way uh, she describes the realities of the beauty of this little meadow in the middle of the village and what it means to her and her Copain, and she demolishes everything, and he takes her so seriously that he stands up and he starts lecturing her, rat, tat, 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 and one after another after another, with tremendous vigor and articulateness, uh, articulation and presence of mind, she demolishes every single argument. And at that point, he just, what? And you're watching it, and the film is avant-garde because here it sh changes. It's been entirely shot in mid-shot or long shot. Uh, there have been no close-ups. There may be two half-body shots or, you know, of some of the interviews and talks. But all of a sudden, the, the camera is closer. This film was shot, I think, by a wonderful uh, photographer. I think it was a lady photographer who was very young, but anyway, it's shot of, of you see the, the girl, and she's in close-up and uh, talking, and all of a sudden you have these pictures of his, the mayor's sort of face, in the foreground, and she's in the midground, and his daughter uh, is uh, at the end of the bench in the far hintergrund, uh, and, and it's really amazing, and you're overwhelmed by the sense of a little child to lead them, that here it took a child to demolish step by step, all the ideological socialist raison and arguments and philosophy of this um, ridiculous project. Well, what happens, you'll see. Um, and uh, before we go into a musical in which the real sense of what is a legacy, the musical answers the question, what actually do we want to do? Because the whole point had been particular to sort of do something for our children and our children's children, the next generation. And the little musical numbers are entirely uh, presented to answer the question is what, what will the meaning of what has happened do for our children? And it's really touching and it's really amazing. But I recommend it highly. Now, let's just talk about us and we're done. Let's talk about this question of reality and um, um, benignity and goodness. Now, um, these uh, a movie like uh, The Tree of the Mayor and the Mediatek is fantastic because it shoots through that the fact that we entirely force everything through screens. We, we, everything we see is being interpreted through some prearranged idea that we have with ourselves that puts a light on everything. I mean, everywhere I go, I mean, every, if you're sort of mindful of it, every encounter you have, you'll notice that you're judging a situation or you're putting a, people in a category or you're putting this place in a category. There's a, um, there's a, uh, there's a um, Safeway, I think, in uh, Chevy Chase, uh, sort of near to where the Beltway 
and Connecticut Avenue come together. It's sort of the Chevy Chase Safeway. And you go there, and I mean, I used to have, I would always go there just to get a particular kind of, um, what is it, uh, um, cherry vanilla, no, peppermint stick ice cream at the 4th of July, which is a big deal there. And I was always going there, and usually they wouldn't have it. The only reason to go, because it's very heavily trafficked, intensely populated area and i'd really have to make an effort to get the peppermint stick ice cream but not just the fourth of july and um there would be people in there or there would be some conversation i would hear and i was always putting it in some category uh, whether it was the lower connecticut avenue safeway near chevy j circle or the upper connecticut avenue near kensington or whatever um and i would you know i just couldn't get my darn ice cream which was itself a categorical fact um i was having to formalize everything well romer's movie uh, shows the absolute folly of formalism through these interpolated interviews of normal everyday people and through the little child she'll lead them and through the endless, um, what is it, to give us, to, to give or is it uh, uh, les, les élucubrations of the lead characters which have nothing to do with anything like reality. And the first point is, if you stick with reality, like Lobo, the singer does, then you've got a long way to go. You, you're great. Stick with reality. Stick with what's really going on. I say it because Lobo, the singer I love so much from Ocala or wherever it was that he used to sing. He's still alive. All of his songs are about you and me. They're not just about a dog named Boo. They're about you and me. They're about me and me love, uh, male-female relations. And there's about nothing more. Matter of fact, he, a couple of his songs, he sort of tilts at people who want to always put some big picture thing. And they're so wonderful. Lobo-wise reality, my friends, uh, mes amis, um, Lobo-wise reality, and Romer's films do this, because all these thoughts you have, all these um, tremendous uh, veils that, that prevent you from seeing a thing as it is, or a person as she actually is, they are terrible. They're just awful. They simply prevent you from seeing things as they are, and everybody has them towards you. So why don't you sort of learn some fresh ways, you know, meditation or whatever it is that will help you. I know that it won't be sort of just reminding you that you shouldn't do it. It has to be something deeper, and we could talk about that. Um, but uh, that's the first thing. Uh, reality is not ideological. But secondly, uh, reality is ultimately benign. This is what I've discovered. I didn't really used to think this. I used to think it sort of tropologically or theoretically. But did I think it was true actually that the nature of the universe is benign? Well, I had a religious vision that I think I told you about on the 2nd of April in Chapel Hill. A bona fide religious vision. It's like nothing that has ever happened to me. It is unusual when this happens to a person when they're kind of, um, you know, in middle to late middle years, because they just, we're just too, we're not, we're not built to have decisive things happen to us in our late to middle years. We're just not, um, impressive things can happen, but really impressive things are usually in your youth and childhood. But this thing was impressive. And I realized that, golly, Moses, this is true. Uh, there is, you know, George. I call him now. I've decided to call God George because um, that's based on a One Step Beyond episode from 1961 or 62 with Roald Dahl because there's a kind of very maline director of a television episode in an episode of Way Out that is entitled Dissolved to Black in which the very well-played um, director of an episode is called George, George Carver. And he's horrible. He's, you, can, you, can watch, you, can go the, you can find this, I think, on YouTube, but I'm not sure about this one dissolved to black you can certainly buy it i have it i'm looking at it it's wonderful i'm looking at it right now do you want to hear me unload it's on vhs though not dvd but um george is actually what i call god these days because i just don't really want to use the word god i'd rather use the word george at this point because it makes me feel good george is good he's not bad 
And uh, in Romer's movies, every single one of them, George, almost every one of them, George makes an appearance. Something positive happens. Usually it's a little tiny thing. It's the, it's the discovery of, of a stolen item that reveals it wasn't stolen, or it's a phone call that, or it's a girl who was terribly used and abused who turns out to have uh, gotten the biggest prize of all in life, you know, El Gagne, she wins, as in Suzanne's career, or it's uh, something, uh, you know, you think some terrible marital infidelity is going to happen, and, and the guy st- gets it right and changes his mind and avoids some terrible, unloving break of uh, fidelity uh, and break of trust and break of truth. And uh, you find this again and again, or a lost um, lover or husband for years for some mix-up <laughs> that's very realistic. It suddenly turns up on a bus, or I, I can just go down, or an older lady looking for love finds it, but in a very realistic way. Um, this is what I think actually happens. I don't just think it. I can honestly say I'm convinced of it. If I were preaching, I'd say it. Say it to you that uh, that George is good. What I used to call the contraption, as if I used to call April two thousand thirteen, the contraption that's governing all our actions, the divinity that shapes our ends, rough hew them as we will, is actually good, and that is how I want to end this. And uh, with great joy, I give you the studio production of something that, if you don't think this is benign, there is something very wrong. But um, I leave it with you because it is so benign that you'll go ahead and out smiling. God bless you and thank you very much. 